Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Today I want to talk about hype or hunger. Hype or hunger. You know, when you come out on the back end of something like that, and, um, you know, it's weird because I don't really feel like we finished. I feel like we culminated what was needed to be said and what was needed to be done um, through our conference and the efforts and, and the desire in our heart of what Kingdom Rise was supposed to do. I feel we accomplished that and then some. I feel that we stirred something up, not only in this church and in this building, but in our community. I think that we have laid the groundwork for what God is wanting to do in Valdosta, Georgia. And I don't believe we are done seeing what God wants to do. But it is also important to judge correctly um, a move of God so that we flow and operate according to what God is trying to accomplish. And when you begin to walk in things of the Spirit, and many of you, these are first-time encounters, first-time experiences. I had people tell me they spoke in tongues for the first time. This was their first experience um, of anything of this nature. We had people that fell for the first time, people that experienced God for the first time, people that felt overwhelmed for the first time. I mean, a lot of first time. And what happens is, is we can inaccurately place a value on feelings or movements rather than what is God doing. I love how God moves. I love how he operates. And when he does, it's undeniable God was in the building. God's presence was here. God's glory was here. But what we have to be careful of as people is that we don't try to manufacture a movement. We don't have to try to manufacture because God is up to something. God is doing something that only God can do. And you'll find, as we used to say in the churches I grew up in the, in, in the 90s, just get under the spout where the glory comes out. Is anybody with me? Y'all remember that saying? That's all you got to do, man. Just be in the right place at the right time. I just want to be where God's moving. I don't want to miss it, but I also don't want to quench it, and I don't want to stifle it. I don't want to squelch it. I just want to be where God is moving. And so I want to give us some indicators today. Is this hype or is this hunger? Because they can look the same on the outside. When you get hungry for the things of God, when you get hungry, you have an earnest desire. I'm talking, man, you are not satisfied by anything else. And I believe out of this past week, many of you are going to find yourself dissatisfied with a lot of things you thought brought you satisfaction. Because it's, it's not going to equate. You're not going to find what you found in those three days of conference in anything else but in the glory of God. You're not going to find it in people. You're not going to find it in money. You're not going to find it in accolades and acclamation. You're not going to find it in achievements and awards. You're not going to find it in anything else other than I've got to be in the house of God. When is the next time the doors are open and I'm going to be in there on the front row drawing and receiving and hungry for the things of God? Nothing else can meet. Everything else leaves me dissatisfied. It leaves me more broken than I was before I ran to it. But when I get in the glory of God, I come out better than I was before, stronger than I was before, more joy, more peace, more love, more glory, more heaven. And I'm, I believe you're just going to find, man, I used to, I used to find something in this. I used to get something out of this, but not anymore, not anymore. But we want to judge these things correctly and earnestly so that we can know that we are following the move of God. Uh, I looked up the word hype. And so let me give you some of these definitions. I thought they were really interesting. I looked up the word hype, H-Y-P-E. And you know, there's a lot of things today that get hype and they, they, they catch on because of the majority. Hype is usually found in the majority. Hype is usually found in groups. There's usually, you know, you can't say, you know, people are hyped up about it and one person's, you know, in on it, right? 
Uh, so, so, you know, today with Facebook and social media and Instagram and, and all the things that we have, we have ways of hyping things up even beyond what they really are. But I thought these interesting, these definitions were interesting. Number one, extravagant or intensive publicity or promotion. Extravagant or intensive publicity or promotion. Extravagant or intensive, meaning above and beyond the promotion or the the publicity, (laughs) try to say that 10 times fast, that you give to something, but intensive, extravagant promotion of something, whether it be an event, whether it be a, a product or something you consume, extravagant or intensive. Number two, promoting a product or event, promoting a product or event, but this is the key, often exaggerating its benefits and importance. Promoting a product or event, but the key is often exaggerating its benefits or importance. That's called hyping something up. When it's just hype, we over-exaggerate. Over-exaggerate what we'll get in return. Its benefits or its value, its importance. But I don't believe the Holy Ghost needs any hype. I don't think the Holy Ghost is over-exaggerating. I don't think you can over-exaggerate the benefit or the importance or the value of the Holy Spirit. Amen? I thought this one was interesting. This is interesting. A deception carried out for the sake of promotion. A deception. A deception carried out for the sake of promotion. Think about it. If we are over-exaggerating or exaggerating the benefit and importance of something, then in essence, we are deceiving a consumer as to what you're really getting in return. Come on. I thank God that the Holy Spirit doesn't bring deception. He brings clarity. The Holy Spirit doesn't leave anything unknown. You don't have to trick people into getting into a move of God. You don't have to twist their arm or manipulate them or try to, try to oversell the Holy Spirit. If anything, we can't oversell. The, I can't even tell you how much you need this. I can't tell you how much you need to be in this. And when you're truly hungry for something, you don't need to extra stuff on top. We don't need to manufacture it. We don't need to add any natural element to it. We just let the Holy Ghost do what the Holy Ghost does. Amen? Deception is involved in hype. You're you're misleading the consumer to a degree to believe something that is not really true about something, to hype it up and to get their engagement, to get their involvement, or to get their interest. And then I put one in here for my own sake. After I read all that, I put this in. The use of deception to mask excitement. The use of deception to mask excitement. That was my takeaway from hype. That ultimately we're using tactics and we're using, um, uh, uh, you know, we, we, we're, we are using different manufacturing elements to try to create interest in something where we don't believe there will be interest. But I believe in the last days the church is hungry for a move of God. And we don't need to hype it up. We don't need to add anything to what God is doing. We're just going to let God be God. So I want to give you um, three, uh, what can we call these? Three questions that we could ask ourselves. Three questions we could ask ourselves to decipher between, is it hype or is it hunger? Three questions that we can ask ourselves. So we can determine, is this just hype or is this hunger? Number one, consume or contribute. 
Number one, consume or contribute. And if you'll look at Matthew chapter 16 with me, we'll look at an instance that actually, you know, we, we talk a lot and we see a lot in these days, um, especially in America of the entertainment model of the church, right? Y'all know what I mean when I say that? That we place more emphasis on natural things to draw people. More, emph- more emphasis on, you know, honestly, if we just want to be honest about it, looking like the world. Because we see the world getting followers. We see the world gaining crowds. We see the world gaining interests. And so we, we do things that imitate what they're doing because apparently that is what people want. That's what people are looking for. People want to come to a show. People want to be entertained. People want, you've got to do certain things to get people to draw people and then do certain things to keep people. And usually what you do to get them is what you have to continue to do to keep them. And so, uh, you know, there has been an overemphasis in the church, especially in America. Because, I mean, we've got unlimited resource in this country. We've got access to the things that we think people want. We don't have a shortage. And I go even a step further. We don't even have a shortage of creativity. I mean, I've seen some churches in America do some really phenomenal and creative things with their services and with their churches. Some impressive stuff. Just the thought and the creativity. And God gave us creativity. God doesn't want us looking stale and dry and boring either. But what I want to show you in this passage here is this this isn't a 2000s thing. This isn't a recent thing. This isn't an American church thing. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 1, it says this. Then the Pharisees and Sadducees came and testing him, Jesus asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. They came looking for what? A sign, a show, entertain us, Jesus. You know, it's, it's no different than what we do today. What we say is, you did it before, I want to see you do it again, but not with an intent of I want to see God move. It says here that they were testing him. And there are those that come into the church not wanting to truly see a move of God. They're wanting to test the Spirit of God, test the move of God. Can you really do it? And just in a natural sense, they have no spiritual depth when they're asking him this question. And Jesus knows, and he answered and said to them in verse 2, When it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red. In threatening hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. And then he goes to say this in verse 4. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left and departed them. A wicked and adulterous. Adulterous means having no relationship. Adulterous means that you claim to love me, but you are carrying on with others. You are sharing a relationship. You don't really value me, and you don't really value who I am. You don't really value what I want for your life. And you don't stay loyal to me. You don't remain uh, affectionate to me. You find affection in every little thing that comes your way. And so now I'm just another one of those things in your life that you're making a demand on. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks a sign. And so this seeking of a sign or this seeking of the things of God rather than God himself, this is nothing new. It's been around since Jesus' time. Do another miracle. Walk on water. Curse a fig tree. Preach another message. And and, and so if we're not careful, we'll take the things of God, a move of God, and we'll make a demand on the stuff rather than him. We'll make a demand on 
what he can do for me rather than who he is to me. And I don't have a relationship with him. In fact, I become adulterous. I become uh, uh, disloyal to who God really is. In Luke chapter 11, verse 29, it's the same, basically the same passage, a parallel finding. But in Luke chapter 11, verse 29, it says this. And while the crowds were thickly gathered, that's a lot of people. You know, Jesus had followers. Jesus had thousands, tens of thousands at times following him. Jesus could get a crowd. Jesus could get people to come check out what he's doing. Jesus could gain. I mean, Jesus would show up. I mean, no sooner than the boat arrives to the shore and he climbs out and puts his foot on the shore. Crowds of people. They already know he's on the way. As soon as they, they, they know he's coming to their town, they're thronging him. There are mul multitudes surrounding him. I mean, they, they, there's one time they packed out a house so much that four guys had to drop their friend through a roof. Couldn't even get in the front door. But you know who was also in that house? If you go on to read the passage, there were religious leaders in that house that had no interest in the move of God. They even questioned in their hearts and in their minds and Jesus knowing their thoughts. Knowing their thoughts. Just because we get a crowd doesn't mean everyone's there for the same reason or the right reason. Just because you can do something that's attractive, just because you can do something that brings people in, just because you can do something that looks like, hey, we want to go pee. See, hype is, is, is the most um, confusing thing in the world because people usually abandon it as quickly as they accept it. Hype is, is fickle. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't do this a lot. I don't follow this much. But I'm sure, you know, younger communities, you could tell me what was popular six months ago, a year ago, a year and a half ago, two years ago, that, that people don't even care about or have already forgotten about. Hype is usually forgotten about as much or as quickly as it was introduced into society. Children do this. You know, growing up, there were always little things that were hype. And they always seemed to become hype or interesting right around this time. About six to ten weeks before Black Friday. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that crazy? I wonder if they had... Uh, a goal in mind. We got to think of something else to sell out of on Black Friday that, that will cause people to trample over themselves running through a Walmart, right? We had uh, Furbies. Was that a thing? Go-Go Gadgets, Pokemon. Um, anybody remember? What were those little round things? Po Pogs? Is that Pogs? Pog, P-O-G, Pogs, right? Yep, yep. All these little things that, that catch on. You know how much of a child we are like? You're no more like a child when you jump from one thing to the next, always thinking it will satisfy something in you. Mature people know how to remain consistent with something, constant with something. Paul told Timothy, you preach the word and you preach it in season and that means the word never goes bad. You know, us preachers, we like that verse, and we think it means you preach when you're ready, and you preach when you're, you're always ready, basically. If they were to call on you right now and give you the microphone, would you be, you know, Pastor Earl says, I always got one in the chamber. Be ready in season and out. What that really actually means, if you look it up in the Greek, it actually means you preach it if they receive it and you preach it when they don't. You preach it when it's hype and you preach it when it's not. But we have found hype Christianity in America where we bounce around to what people want to hear. It's called itching ears. We've set up itching ears ministries international. 
Incorporated, LLC, dot gov. <laughs> Itching ear ministries. No, we're not going to preach what you want to hear all the time. The word of God, it will encourage just as much as it will cut off. It will perfect just as much as it prunes. So we've got to be people that stay the course and we don't follow the hype of something and come in looking for a sign. Basically what Jesus is saying, all you want to see is signs and you can't tolerate the preaching of the word. And in the midst of all that, you've missed my mission. You've missed what I'm really all about. Look, if it's God, it's not going to draw you away from his mission. It's going to bring you into his mission, attract you deeper into the mission of God. So we've got to be careful with this, that we don't follow something simply to consume it. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 9. You know, we, we can create consumers in church. Those that just come and find a seat. Those that just come and want to be entertained. Those that come and, and, and you know, I, I have talked with several people just in the last several weeks. And they've all heard. It's, it's funny, you know, even just yesterday at my son's baseball tournament, I was talking to one of the dads. And, um, you know, it's weird to tell somebody, you know, they say, well, what do you do? I pastor, pastor church, Anchor Faith Church. Oh, I've heard about that. That's weird to me now because before they were like, what's an Anchor Faith Church? <laughs> yeah, and where's it located and, you know, everything. And I have to give them all the, they knew exactly where, they, where we were. We don't even have a sign out by the road yet that marks us through the week. And they, they know Anchor Faith Church is gaining some traction and gaining some reputation and, 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 and becoming known. And that's great. Yeah, whatever. It, it, this isn't about us. This is about what God is doing. But, hey, if, if God needs you to get to know us so you can get to know him, great. So we're, 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 we're moving into a season now 10 years in where we've supplanted ourselves. And, and you just wait till we own this property. You just wait till there's a sign out there by the road. You just wait till you've got some natural identifiers and some natural markers. People are going to say, man, what is God doing at Anchor Faith Church? What is God doing over there at Anchor Faith Church? Church, we hear he's moving. We hear people are getting healed. We hear people are getting filled. We hear that they're in the midst of a revival. I had people come up to me this week and said, how did your revival go? I never called it revival. I called it a conference. And they've already thought, this is revival, man. I said, I'll receive that in Jesus' name. This is revival. You're prophesying over our Kingdom Rise conference right now. We just started something. This is revival. We're reviving some things. We're bringing dead things back to life. Dry bones are coming to life again in Valdosta, Georgia. But look at this in Matthew chapter 9. I'm going to read this out of the New Living in verse 35. Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And not just announcing it, right? Because we learned that ambassadors don't just talk about it. They do it. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. So miracles, signs, and wonders are happening, confirming the preaching and teaching of the word, just as the word tells us, right? That signs will follow what? Those who believe. Signs don't follow ministers. Signs don't follow fivefold teachers and preachers and apostles and pastors and evangelists and you know, all these different things. Signs and wonders follow the preaching and teaching of the word and those that believe. I got any believers in the house? Let me see the believers' hands. Believers believe that signs follow them. But look at the next verse. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. 
this is after the miracles. This is after the signs and the wonders. See, we don't just need people that just show up for a move of God. We need those that will stay around and help clean up the mess after. I mean, I didn't have this in my notes, but in John chapter 10, Jesus addresses the difference between a shepherd and a hireling. And one of the key indicators that he gives between a shepherd and a hireling is the shepherd cares for the sheep. But a hireling, when trouble arises, flees. You can't tell a shepherd or a true pastor or a true leader by how they act or what they look like when everything's going good. No, it's when the tests and the trials come. They might be talking great about Anchor Faith Church right now, but one thing I know for sure is when you disrupt stuff, and man, we're disrupting some stuff. We're disrupting religion. We're disrupting denominations. We're disrupting denominational thinking. We're, disrupt, we're messing with some serious sacred cows. You better believe we are. And the lost will love it, but the religious will hate it. And they might come to our services because they want to see what's happening. But they will sit there with stern faces. They'll sit there with arms crossed. They'll sit there saying, I can't believe they're doing this in Fowl Asta. I can't believe they're, 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 people are leaving our church to go see what's happening. They're, this will happen. And we will get pushback, not from the lost community, the religious community. And I would rather be lost than religious. Because at least when I'm lost, I can find my way out. But when I'm religious, I'm blinded. I'm wandering around in darkness being led by other blind people. Blind leading the blind. Blind guides. Hypocrites. That think you've attained to something, but you know nothing at all. You've never come to the power of the Holy Spirit. So, there's an excitement. But there's also, you're barring yourself because you know not everybody's going to be excited about what's happening. And you got to be ready to stand against it. I've got to lead you with excitement. Come on, we're going somewhere. And at the same time, defend you against those on the outside that would try to tear down what God wants to do here. But let no man tear down what God builds. What God puts together, no man can put asunder. It will stay the course. But he says here, after all the signs, after all the wonders, they're lost, confused, helpless. Because miracles, signs, and wonders doesn't mean you've got a shepherd. Miracles, signs, and wonders apparently isn't the answer. Miracles, signs, and wonders. See, we can come and we can consume miracles, signs, and wonders. But look at the next verse. As Jesus looks out on this crowd and they're lost, confused, helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He says, so pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more what? Workers, laborers, or you could put it this way, contributors into the field. What does a move of God need most? Contributors. What does a move of God need most? After all is said and done, those that will stand by and walk with people and do life with them. We're not here for a show. We're not here for entertainment. We're not here just to look what all God is doing at Anchor Faith. We are here to pick up the pieces afterward and say, how can we come alongside you and live this out with you and walk this out with you? One thing I saw almost every single time when a move of God hit St. Augustine, Florida, and I use St. Augustine, Florida. I'm sure this has happened in every single church and every single spirit-filled church. You know, when, 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 a, when a move of God comes to a city that has been dry, in that city there are spirit-filled people. 
that have lost their way over time. And this happened in St. Augustine. And I'm, I'm going to give heed and warning to it now before we even get there. That there were those that lost their way. That there was a movement that came in the, in the 70s, in the charismatic renewal. Or a movement that came in the 80s with the entrance of the word of faith movement and the preaching and teaching of the word of God and, 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 and these kind of things. And there were, in the late 90s and early 2000s, as these spirit-filled churches began to, began to wane and began to subside and began to lose their course, we saw an exodus, and we saw spirit-filled churches crumble. We saw spirit-filled churches, a lot of them would even, uh, you know, say, well, we're not going to do things as we used to do, or we're not going to allow certain things that we used to do, because it's not attracting people, it's not keeping people. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. And so we found spirit-filled people get sprayed out through a community. Some of them would attend smaller churches. Some of them would attend, uh, you know, other, uh, you know, denominational churches, even though they knew on the inside, man, this isn't the totality of it. This isn't everything there is. Then what happens is a church gets a hold of a movement. And now those spirit-filled people that have been disbanded and been sprayed out in the community hear what God is doing at this church or at a location. And they're like, there it is again. And they go running to it. But what we have to be careful of is that we don't create a harboring of people that are just looking for ways to minister on somebody else's platform. And this happened in St. Augustine. We had, we, 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 would, we had services, or they would hear about Anchor Faith Church and what we're preaching and what we're teaching, and now they're hearing things like what sounded like in the 70s and the 80s. And all of a sudden, they're coming through the doors. We had one individual bold enough to come straight to Pastor Earl on the front row and say, I- I've got a word. I've got a word for the church. Never been to Anchor Faith Church in your life. No, you don't. You don't have a word for a church you've never been in. You need to get connected with the heart and the vision and the mission of the house before you just start speaking into people's lives. How many of you parents raising your kids would allow someone off the streets to say, I got a word for your kid. I, I'm going to teach them how to do it. No, I, who are you? There was one, you know, we were holding, I don't know, a full force kingdom conference or something like that. And, and, and somebody just shows up and we see them going through the sections, start praying with people. Never been to our church before. Not commissioned by the authority or the leadership. These are called rogue, spirit-filled people. That they're operating on their own agendas. They're, they're using somebody else's platform to move themselves forward. They have self-interest. They're called hirelings. Hirelings show up and they, man, look what God's doing here. And we're going to jump on that. And then the second trouble arises, they're gone. He gone. They're gone just as quick as they came. This happens. We had one guy bring his guitar. Go to Marcus. Go to Pastor Marcus and say, the Lord's given me a song to sing for you. No, what is wrong with you? What are you thinking? No, sir. But they want to use the platform of, we have worked to build this thing. We have, and we are going to shelter it. We are going to protect it. We are going to guard it. We are going to keep it. We're not going to allow just anything. See, the moves of God, you know, silliness shows up. So we've got to be careful. We're not consumers of something. We're contributors to it. We're here to stick it out thick and through. We're we're here to make sure that this thing, what we are building and what we're seeing, we're walking this daily with people. A hireling does not walk with people daily because they're only interested in their own glory. They're only interested in their own engagement. They're only interested in how does this serve me? But contributors think of the best interest of others. And so he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest 
then ask him to send more workers, laborers, into his fields. Goes right into the next chapter, Matthew chapter 10 and verse 1. The very next verse, what happens? Jesus called his 12 disciples together and gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. A contributor will receive authority from the leader. Not self-commissioned, but assigned by the pastor, assigned by the leader, assigned by the shepherd. And immediately he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would bring laborers forth to go into the fields and bring in the harvest. Very next verse, then he gives authority to his disciples. John chapter 14, verse 12. John chapter 14 and verse 12 says this, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. Notice he does not say, you will watch me work. That's a spectator. That's a consumer. We're not here to watch. We're here to get involved. We're here to play a part. We're here to say, what can I do? How can I meet a need? How can I come alongside? And I'm partnering with Jesus. I'm partnering with a move of God. Jesus called his 12, or I'm sorry, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works I do, and he will do also, and greater works than these he will do because I'm going to the Father. Mark chapter 16 and verse 15. Mark chapter 16 and verse 15. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs, I said, these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. If they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven, just as he said, because I'm going to the Father, and sat down at the right hand of God. And they, who's they? The laborers, the workers, the contributors, and they went out and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. We come to play a part. We come to find our fit. We come with the question, God, how can I be a part of what you are doing in these last days? I'm not, revival is not something you sit on the bench and watch. Revival happens because people have a heart that says, I want to serve. I want to get involved. I want to participate. I want to contribute. Tell me whatever I need to do. If it's cleaning a toilet or leading someone to salvation, what can I do to be a part of what God is doing in these last days. And we need to pray to the Lord of the harvest for laborers to come alongside. Because just as Jesus' words were true then, they're even truer now. The field is ripe for harvest. The harvest is truly great. But the laborers, you understand that the harvest out numbers the laborers. We need laborers, participators, not spectators. Number two, how can I discern if this is hype or hunger? See, hungry people want to get involved. Hungry people, hum, hungry people don't have a threshold. Hungry people don't say, uh, as long as you don't ask me, as long as it's not on this day, as long as it doesn't go this long, as long as... Which brings us to our next point, purpose or preference? Purpose or preference? We need to ask the question. See, hype, when people get in on something that is hype, they get in on it because it meets their preference, because it's something that they're going to consume, because it's something that they want in their life. It's not, it's not something they necessarily want to be a part of or they're all in on. They're just following it because that's what the majority is doing. And so we have to address this question of, are we valuing God's purpose 
Or are we valuing man's preference? And in Mark chapter 10, we see the story of the rich young ruler. Mark chapter 10 and verse 17. Now as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Great question. It's a great question. So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but the one that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have, and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. But look at verse 22. He was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. See, you're going to find that hunger will always demand an investment. And you can always tell how hungry someone is by the investment they're willing to make. You know, I, I would encourage anyone that's desiring to enter a relationship, dating relationship, or marriage relationship, be careful what you give away too soon. Because many things need to show investment before you give it away. And how much you value it reveals the investment that's going to be demanded. And we, we're, we're in a day and age where people jump all in way too quick with things that need to show more value, more commitment, more investment before we obtain those things. Even Jesus said that you cannot cast pearls before swine. Meaning, you don't hand something precious to someone that doesn't have the same value for it that they ought to. It's not that we want you to pay a price and you got to go through all this. No, God is handing out his will and his plan. But he wants to know what's the commitment level you have. This is a rich, young ruler. I mean, for most pastors, this is what they're looking for. I mean, there's nothing like having a rich, young ruler. They got influence. They've got money. And Jesus is what? Making a demand of an investment. Now, he's not asking for his money. He's asking for him. When God asks for our stuff, he's not asking for our stuff. He's asking for you. But if your stuff has you, then he can't get you. So there's got to be an investment made. There's got to be a commitment. You've got to reveal value for this thing. And many times, it's our preferences that get in the way. And when I mean preferences, that could be anything. That could be anything. But at the end of the day, it's am I putting my desires, my agenda, my plans above God's? What did Jesus say in that garden? Not my will, but your will be done. He recognized the number one hindrance to me finishing this plan and finishing this call and finishing this mission and finishing this assignment. The number one thing standing in the way, not a Pharisee could stand in the way, not a Sadducee could stand in the way, not a soldier could stand in the way, Peter couldn't stand in the way, people couldn't stand in the way. Nothing could stand in the way of Jesus' mission except him, his will. And that's an interesting statement for the Son of God to make. We would think that his values would automatically align 
with God's. But if Jesus says, not my will, but your will, apparently they had contending wills. Apparently Jesus was saying, if there's any way for this cup to pass from me, I'll take any other road than what is I'm destined to take. But ultimately, it's not my preference. Ultimately, it's not up to me. Ultimately, you didn't consider what I want and what I'd like or what meets my criteria for you to accomplish your will and your plan. And if we're going to see revival, we're going to see God move. It's going to be because people shut down their calendars, shut down their agendas, shut down their plans, shut down their preferences, shut down their time frames, shut down who God can use it through, shut down where God does it at. You're going to have to let go of some things that you hold dearly to so that we can grab a hold of what God is wanting to do in these last days. So our preferences stand in the way. My priorities stand in the way. And I need to value God's purpose over my preference. We need to be like Jesus in the garden, not my will. That might be too early. That might be later than I'd like to go. That might be on a different date than I'd prefer. That might be a different time frame than I'd rather like. That might be through a person I don't really, uh, you know, didn't really want to listen to. Come on, we, we had five different speakers at Kingdom Rise, and all of them were different. Pastor Earl, Pastor Marcy, myself, Pastor Roddy. He's different for sure. <laughs> He's very different. Pastor Daryl, even through Pastor Marcus's worship, man, we come in here, you might prefer lights and, and, and what we have going on. You might not. You might prefer uh, uh, the songs we sing, and you might not. You might prefer the temperature set at what we set it at, and you might not. You might prefer the location, prefer the time. You might have your own preference, but at the end of the day, we won't see God moving as long as he has to check all of our boxes. It will not happen. It cannot happen because this is God's purpose, not mine. It's not your revival, it's God's revival. And we're all laying something down to achieve, to see achieved what God wants accomplished. Y'all with me? We got to lay some stuff down. Let's quit walking in here just thinking about what meets my needs. Let's, let's start being people that say, how can I meet someone else's need? How can I prefer my brother, prefer my sister, prefer my church, prefer my pastor, prefer my leaders, prefer what God wants to do over what I think it should be? And I believe in that environment, that's a welcoming environment for the Holy Spirit to move in. I believe that's an environment where God says, I, I have to touch that. I have to move in that. I have to show. They have laid so much down. I've got to come. They've abandoned. They've let go of. They have stripped away. I've got to show myself up in that building, in that moment, in that time. Nobody here is doing this for their own exaltation. Nobody here is, is doing this for their own pleasure. Nobody here is doing this. Not myself, not my wife, not our worship teams, not our leaders, not our staff. Nobody is doing what we're doing because this is what we would like to have done. We're following the Holy Spirit. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus puts it this way. Luke chapter 9 and verse 57. And it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Think about the totality of that statement. I will follow you wherever. I mean, that's pretty open-ended. You know, they taught us in Bible school, be careful what you tell God you won't do. <laughs> Tell God where you won't preach. Tell God what you won't say. Tell God what, you, what, what ministry you won't serve with. And you might just find yourself there. You might just find that that's the very avenue through which God wants to use you, strengthen you, 
equip you, condition you. So I just learned very early on, I'm just keeping my mouth shut. I ain't telling God I will do anything but because it's the but that I'll be doing. That's the, that's the one thing he'll say, yep, that's it right there. And I was careful with it with my mouth, but in my heart I said, you know, children's ministry, just, you know. And sure enough, sure enough, I get asked on the side of a flag football field on a Sunday afternoon, hey, uh, you know, we'd love to use you and your wife uh, with our two and three-year-olds. Yeah, ex- talking me what huh (laughs) two and two-year-olds like actual two not spiritually two-year-olds I could I could maybe handle that some brand new converts in Christ yeah I could no two-year-old diapers can't talk yet throw things at you spit at you cry at the top of their lungs Two and three year old. Yeah. But had I said no that day, I wouldn't be here today. Had I said no on the side of that flag football field, I would not be where I am today. That's the God's honest truth. I can look back and I can see that now. In the moment, I didn't think that that was a big deal. I, you know, I, I could have missed that moment. It was so insignificant. I could have said, yeah, you know, I, I didn't tell them I'd pray about it. Yeah, I love when people say they'll pray about it. I love that. Will you? I'll pray about it. It's really just the Christian way of saying no. But you don't want to sound like you came up with it on the known, so I, 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 on your own, so you got to put it on God. God told me no, so I have to tell you no. Well, I, I, I can't argue with God, so let's just be honest. Did you pray? I prayed about it, Pastor, and okay. Even if they come back and say yes, the fact that they prefaced it with I prayed about it puts me in a position of, see, you don't really want to do it, but God is urging you to do it, so I guess you're going to do it. I don't want you to do it anyways. You don't worry about it. I don't have your heart. I just got your yes. <sighs> just being a little transparent there. A little transparent moment right there. I didn't even pray about it. I looked at him and I said, Pastor, if that's what you need, I'm there. No problem. I have no clue what I'm doing. I'm going to get killed in there. I've never changed a diaper in my life. But thank God for my wife. I, You know. That's the only way I made it through like the first four Sundays. I sat in a corner. The corner was the timeout corner for the kids. I used it to try to stay as far. And every now and then they'd come over and wander around. I'd be like, can I help you? What? <laughs> but man, I, I loved it. I grew in it. Passion for families, passion for children, passion for valuing the Spirit of God inside of a child at such a young age. You see their eyes opening up, childlike faith, grabbing a whole, speaking life and purpose and destiny into children. Some of them who didn't even go back to Christian homes. I'm telling you, I would go back and I'm, I'll turn this mic off right now and go straight back there. The most important ministry we have is what's happening in those classrooms right now. But it was a yes. It was a yes to the plan of God, and it was a no to my preferences, and it was a no to what I want, and it was a no to what I thought I wanted to do and what I thought ministry was. He says, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. And Jesus responded, no one having put his hand to the plow 
and looking back. One translation says, and having second thoughts. No one putting their plow and then having second thoughts about following me is fit for the kingdom of God. Strong words. But in essence, what's he showing? The value of your commitment in denying your preferences, denying your plans, denying your agenda, denying what you thought or what you want. What, is, what you want is always measured by what you will give up. What you want is always measured by what you will give up. Going back to the dating and the marriage, if you're engaged in a relationship where the other is never giving anything up, then you don't really know what they want. It's a sacrifice. Paul tells us in Romans 12, 1, that we are to be living sacrifices. What's that mean? Daily, I'm sacrificing something. Daily, I'm laying something down for the cause of Christ. Daily. This isn't just a one, oh, God, you remember when I put that down? God, you remember when I stopped hanging out with that person? God, you remember when I let that go? No, this is daily waking up and saying, God, what can I strip off today so I can be more in tune with your uh, uh, preference, your purpose, your design, your plan for my life? Revival comes to those that will lay it down to take up his cause. The third thing, number three, the difference between hype or hunger, feelings or fellowship, feelings or fellowship, feelings, are we just coming for a sensation? Are we just coming for an encounter? Are we just coming for an experience? Are we just coming for a feeling? Are we moved by our feelings? Well, I, f- I don't really feel like it. That's not a move of God. A move of God happens when you don't even feel like it. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. 1 John chapter 1. Verse 3 in the New King James, it reads this way, That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, everyone say truly. Truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Read it in the Amplified. It says it this way. What we have seen and heard, we also proclaim to you, so that you too may have fellowship as partners with us. And indeed, our fellowship, watch this, which is a distinguishing mark of a born-again believer, is with the Father, with His Son, and with His Son, Jesus Christ. He calls it a distinguishing mark of born-again believers. Our fellowship. If we are coming to be a part of a move of God or a revival or a conference or whatever you want to call it, and if we reduce a move of God to merely feelings, we will miss the greatest aspect of what it means to be in this house. It means that we are fellowshipping with Him. That's amazing. One of the greatest points that I that I took away from the Kingdom Rise Conference was when Pastor Darrell uh gave us a difference between fellowship and relationship. Y'all remember that? That the greater the fellowship, the greater the relationship. And we can be pulled out of fellowship that doesn't tear us away from relationship, but how much greater is the relationship when we value the fellowship? But you don't want to be around somebody that only wants to be around you when they feel like it or they're trying to get something in return. You want to be valued in fellowship. We want to hang out. We're, we're going to be together in the good times and the bad. We're, I just want to be with you. I just want to be around you, not for your stuff, not for your things, not for your feelings. This is Revival is not a place you go to get another fix. There are people that do that. They chase meetings. They chase conferences. And all they're doing is they're wanting a fix. 
They're just wanting, it's, it's almost like a drug to them. And when they run out and they run low, then they've got to look up the next one. They got to go chase it and they got to be around all these. No, you go to be in these places to experience God himself, to fellowship with him. Feelings don't change anybody. Paul put it this way in Philippians chapter 3. Paul put it this way. I'm going to read this in the Amplified. It just It's tremendous the way that it reads in verse 8. But more than that, I count everything as loss compared to the priceless privilege and supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Look at what he says here in, in parentheses. And of growing more deeply and thoroughly acquainted with him, a joy unequaled. You don't find joy in a song. You don't find joy in a prayer meeting. You don't find joy in being in a room with other like-minded believers. He says, you want a joy that cannot be surpassed, that nothing else can give you this type of joy? It's being thoroughly, deeply acquainted with Him. Sometimes we lose the value of just being with the Father, being in His presence, not for another manifestation. Oh, didn't, wasn't the glory just so amazing? Wasn't the anointing on that song? Oh, just seeing that over and over. No, it's not about trying to conjure up or manufacture something. It's about I'm fellowshipping with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I'm in the throne room right now. Deeply acquainted. Thoroughly acquainted. For his sake, I have lost everything, and I consider it all garbage. Why? So that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, believing and relying on him, not having any righteousness of my own derived from my obedience to the law and its rituals, but possessing that genuine righteousness which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Listen to this in verse 10. And this, so that I may know him experientially, becoming more, here it is again, thoroughly acquainted with him, understanding the remarkable wonders of his person more completely, and in that same way experience the power of his resurrection, which overflows and is active in believers, and that I may share the fellowship of his sufferings by being continually conformed inwardly into his likeness, even to his death, dying as he did. Of all that we seek to gain in our meetings, in our experiences, in our encounters, it's that we gain a new depth in our relationship and fellowship with him. That's why we sing what we sing. That's why we come and receive. That's why we engage. It's not because I want another feeling. I need another fix. It's because today, when I leave this building, I want to be more deeply and thoroughly acquainted with him, not his stuff. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. I'm going to put the quote up behind me. It was the great object of his wondrous sacrifice to put us into a position which should be equal and even superior to that which we occupied in Adam before the fall. And as he has already restored us many things, many things that we lost, so among the rest, fellowship with God. Worship team, if you'd come. Fellowship with God. May our encounters with Him draw us deeper into fellowship and relationship with Him. Man, may we not just merely walk away from services or meetings or conferences or 
revival. Remembering the time that we had. But know this. No matter how great your experience was those three days and four nights, no matter how good of a time we had, how awesome and how anointed and how excellent those meetings were, know this, you can go deeper. You can know His love more. Paul prayed that we would know the length and the depth and the width and the height of His love. Know this, that we haven't even gotten started yet. We haven't even touched the surface. There are angels that praise Him daily around the throne. And every time they come back around, they see something new they never saw before. And it's holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It doesn't become familiar. It doesn't become expected. It doesn't become routine. And it definitely doesn't become religious. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.